Have yeah. you heard all the rumors going about about Queen Elizabeth right now? I've not. I did just see, was she at a christening or something like that? You know what? I don't know for sure. I haven't been keeping up in the most recent part, but there's a big conspiracy out there okay. that Queen Elizabeth died. Not that Okay, long I ago. haven't heard this. Okay. Because she was put on basically bed rest, not bed rest, but she needs to stay out of the public light and just take some resting time. I did hear that. Because she is a well-to-do lady in her late 90s who probably doesn't need to be making all the media appearances she should be. So doctor said, hey, tame it down a little bit. And people have taken that to mean that Queen Elizabeth died. And the reason people believe that is because there's a huge protocol in place if the queen is to die, which includes a whole bunch of procedures for the BBC, which would not be conducive to money making. So people believe that they're putting it off until the new year to announce that she died. But do you think that's why I just saw a thing about her going to a, was it a bap? It was something, a baptism. I'm pretty sure it was a baptism. Well, it could be. It also could be the fact that she actually did go to some sort of baptism. And she didn't die. Yeah. I love a good conspiracy theory. Yeah. And and part of it is, as soon as the queen dies, basically BBC goes into mourning until the actual funeral can happen. And they're not allowed to play any comedies on BBC until that point. So they haven't been doing that? Once she dies. So part of the thing is, is they're saying hold off until the new year so we can get all the Christmas stuff out of the way. (laughs) Yeah, Because they can't play Mr. Bean. Yeah, of course. That's a Christmas quintessential. Those technically are correct. BBC has a huge protocol in place. Should the Queen die or any of the, what do they call, Category 1 royal, which include Charles and a few others. Who cares about Charles? Yeah, I mean, we will eventually at the same level as the Queen, because he'll be king. Unless she somehow outlives him, which is might happen at this point. He, I think it's he's true. I was just looking at a picture of both of them like lined up. I was like, wow, they're just about as old as mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they look that. Yeah, when you get that old, there's not a lot of difference. No, there's not. Mm-hmm. And who really likes him anyway after Princess Diana? Yeah. But I don't believe this conspiracy theory just because I don't think they put off protocol in that way. There is a conspiracy theory that was founded and is very true about Queen Elizabeth's grandfather is he still and, alive and no he died he was okay. king george did he come back to life no he was actually euthanized theory. so that his death would make the morning newspaper run what yeah he was dying of cancer his family said keep him comfortable basically what happened is they euthanized him so that a death could be announced in the morning newspaper instead of the evening newspaper run which gets mm. less notice i do actually think that And I don't know what the hell I was reading now. Like, we're Canada, so royals are, like, not as highly publicized as... No, but we pay franchise fees to care about the royals in Canada. Yeah. Like, not that we care that much about them, but they come up often. Like, probably not as often as if we lived in the UK. But I feel like I saw something about that, that he was euthanized. Yeah, and it's well known now, but it didn't come out. He died in 1935, and it didn't come out until 1982 that the doctor who was taking care of him in his hospice treatment euthanized him. They gave him a concoction of morphine and cocaine that basically he overdosed on and died comfortably. I And it was fully done so that his death could be announced in the morning newspaper. I don't disagree with that way to go. 
However, that being said, with it followed up by so it could be in the morning newspaper is troublesome. I did see, just now that you're saying that, that there are these rumors, I did see on a magazine as I was leaving a grocery store that she was just seen at a, I'm pretty sure it was a baptism. Well, if anything did in fact happen at this point, I'm sure we'll find out in the next 40 years. (laughs) But for now, I think it's safe to assume that the queen is safely alive. She probably is. She's... She's one of those ones that are going to outlive everybody. I really think we should go to Vegas and bet on the question of Betty White or Queen Elizabeth. <gasps> as to no, who lives you longest. could never bet on that. Well, I no, and the problem is we'd never bet. be able to collect on that bet because we'd die before it actually pays out. It would. I don't like, and it just seems blasphemous to even bet on Betty White. I couldn't mm-hmm. bet against her. Oh, but sorry, yeah, that's Queen. my intro for today. That's a good one. We will probably update everything at a future date when the Queen actually dies. But again, this show <laughs> might not live that long. Or for New Year's and we'll just let you know that she hasn't died. She is still in fact alive. All right. And let's get a little festive now. From the unexplained to the candy cane. Come join us on our holly jolly journey to the fringe. Hello <laughs> and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, the show that talks about fringe topics at such a profound level that they in fact become normal topics. Should you ever run into a rogue AI that you wish to initiate a paradox (laughs) feedback loop, you are welcome for that one. You are welcome for that one. I am Festive Taylor, here along with Festive Chelsea, here to talk about festive Festive. things around the Christmas timeline. Today, we are going to focus on a different topic than we did last time. Last time we talked about how Christmas was really stolen from other cultures. (laughs) Today, we're more so going to talk about how other cultures celebrate Christmas in their own special and plucky way. No thievery on this one. No thievery, just elaborating on the topic that is Christmas. Yes. Now, we have many wonderful different topics to talk about today. They are all ridiculous in their own rights, and I believe they are all uniquely ridiculous in the ways that we will be talking about. They are. And we span the globe in things that we will be talking about. So be ready, put on your traveling seatbelt, buckle it in because we're not providing it, and be ready. Let's go. (laughs) Chelsea, I believe we are going to start on one of the westernmost points on the European continent. And let's move east from there. Okay, we can move east from here. So I'm going to start with Catalonia, which is Spain, located in northeastern Spain against the French border, where we'll be taking a look at the tradition of pooping. That's right, I said pooping. Pooping. I said it wrong. That was my bad. Sorry. (laughs) I got that. There's a lot of pressure. A couple of things I'm going to cover with Catalonia. I'm going to start with Tio de Nadal aka Christmas Log, or more popularly referred to as Cagatillo, aka Shitting Log. P.S. I'm probably going to be dragged for my pronunciation of everything that I'm talking about here. I think you said shitting well. I did say shitting well. I've had a lot of practice at shitting. Um, And saying the word. Yeah, for a long time. That one I'm probably pronouncing perfectly. So first we're going to start with Cagatillo, who is widely popular 
and is a log about he's generally about 30 centimeters long but he comes in all sizes and has a big smiling face painted on one side of him or her four stick legs and has a traditional red hat called the Baratina which I'm trying my best here at saying that you watched South Park growing up right yeah Mr. Hanky yeah is he inspired by this? I have no idea. Is he? I don't know, but you just said it's a log of poop that's wearing a red hat. <gasps> I don't know. I, I'm familiar with Mr. Hanky, and now I don't know. I'm Googling quickly. I don't know. I feel like there could be some ties there. Nothing comes up right off the bat. It very well could be. That was I wasn't expecting that. That took me off guard. Okay, I have to move on from this because he very well may be. I need to bring this up. We will never know until we do the research. No, I feel like I need to bring it up at the next family dinner. Okay, because Catalonia and Poopin go together. Starting on December 8th with the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, the kids in Catalonia give the tío, cagatío, a little bit to eat every night and cover him with a blanket so he'll not be cold. So they have to take good care of the log to keep him warm and fed so that it will. I'm sorry, I'm saying him. It's, it's not him. It's a him or her. It's a genderless log. Of it shit. is gen- a genderless log as logs are. They feed him so that he will defecate presents on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. Christmas Day or Christmas Eve is up to person, just as some people open presents on Christmas Eve. So on Christmas Eve, Cagatillo is placed partly in the fireplace or very close by and the kids order it to poop. At this point, the kids must leave the room. They put him in the fireplace, they leave the room. Is it because it needs some alone time to poop it, the No, presents? okay. Well, there's a few reasons. One, because it, it might be like trigger shy. And the other thing is that they go to pray. This is when the adults fill the blanket with presents under the blanket that's keeping Cagatillo warm. The kid used to go in to pray. However, now they use it mostly to warm the sticks that they have to beat Cagatillo. <laughs> <laughs> Should he not be? So they must be like warm hot. They're like, okay, I guess I'll get to why they have sticks. I guess I just brought the sticks out of nowhere. So the kids come back with their sticks and they beat Cagatillo with a stick while singing various songs of Tio Nadal. I must say, with warning, there's a few versions of the song. Obviously, Gerard, who's my fiance, is from Catalonia. He couldn't find the song they sing. There's a few versions of the song. And you couldn't um, just get Gerard to sing it? He wanted to, but I said no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. He actually wanted me to interview him for this, but I said no, because he's not going to listen to it. I really like the tribal drumming yeah. that is included in the Catalan Christmas festivities. Okay. Well, they beat the shit out of a logo. Okay. okay. <laughs> they do. Okay, okay. so listen. This song is going to be haunting you for the rest of the night, I guarantee you, because since we've been trying to find, Gerard's been trying to find the one he's saying, but this is the one that comes up the most on YouTube and everyone in the house have been singing this song <laughs> because it gets stuck in your head. Is everybody else who's not singing doing some sort of weird drumming on their legs? No. They have the big where they're like, boom. No, <laughs> no just kidding because I know. I don't know. I would assume it's not this eclectic when you're singing it in your house beating the shit out of a lot. Okay. <laughs> so the kids come in with their hot sticks 
They sing this song. They're beating Cagatillo with their hot sticks. And so happily, this, we might add from the photo. Oh, very happily. <laughs> also, Cagatillo is very happy about the beating per the photos. He is. He's happy to give up his shits. <laughs> so the song is a celebration song. And after hitting the Tio softly during a stick, I actually got the question for Knox today, like, how hard can you hit Cagatio? <laughs> and I said, I mean, you don't want to break his back. So you hit hard on the words of Cagatio. Then someone will put their hand under the blanket and take a gift. So someone takes the gift from under the blanket of Cagatio because he is shit that present out and the gift is open and the song continues. So it sounds similar to that. Obviously, when you're singing it as a family, it sounds a bit different. The gifts Cagatio shits out are small gifts from the three wise men and are to be shared amongst everyone there, such as candies, nuts of Tehran, which I know I'm saying wrong, which is nougat. It's really good if you've ever had Tehran. And small toys. So that's Cagatillo. We actually were going to do Cagatillo last year, but we just ran out of time to get a log and get this all together because here, obviously, we can't just go out and buy a Cagatillo like in Spain. Maybe next year. The next Catalan gem is the Caganay. The Caganay is not exclusive to Catalonia. However, you're going to find a lot of these guys if you go to Spain, especially at Christmas markets. And you will um, find them because I watched a video. Gerard forced me to watch it. Sorry, I. That, that's not true. I asked Gerard and he showed me the video. I, I mean, shouldn't once you see that. this, you have yeah. to ask a little bit more questions yeah. to be like, why do you guys like that? So but they come in literally any famous figure you can find pooping at this at, yeah. at this time of year. I do get into it a little bit why it's literally anyone. I wish you could personalize them, but it's just like famous people. I wish I could get like one for all of my family like this. But you Look, it's not. you pooping. Yeah. <laughs> So this one's not actually exclusive to Catalonia. You can find it in other areas of Spain and Southern France, Portugal, and Southern Italy. They are called other names in those areas, but I'm just doing Catalonia, so they're Caganese. El Cagane appears in nativity scenes and the name translates to the pooper. Cagatillo actually, I didn't say it when I was covering Cagatillo, that is Uncle Poop, if we wanted to translate that way. <laughs> So, Cagane. I'm sure we've all seen a nativity scene of some sort, which is part of even a traditional Christmas decoration here. In Spain, it's a little bit different. It consists of a large model of the city of Bethlehem and the manger, but the actual scene varies. However, I'm sure you kind of get the idea, like Bethlehem or the manger scene, like, you know, the gist. So he's especially popular for these types of scenes, almost exclusively, and some may even say essential. He enters the scene around the 17th, early 18th century during the Baroque period. The statue of the person pooping is tucked away in the corner of a model, typically. Ours is just on our mantle. Typically near the manger scene. And the tradition in Catalonia is to have the children find the Caganay. So you hide it and then you have the children find it. Oh, I didn't know that part. There's actually quite a few hide-and-seek um, traditions around the world. I know there's a German tradition of find the pickle that's yes. very similar. We actually got gifted from one of our family for Christmas last year, the pickle. Traditionally, the Caganay is a peasant wearing a traditional berrettina. Ours is wearing a berrettina here. 
which is what Cagatillo wears as well. That's the traditional Spanish hat right here. The red little elf hat. Sorry to put it that, that way. That actually, that reminds me of the Saturnalia hat. Yes, that's what it reminded me as well. I don't know if I said it or not during our episode, but that's the Baratina, which I'm totally saying wrong. I cannot roll my R as well. There should be a rolled R in that. So he has his pants down, showing his bare backside, and he is defecating. However, come the 1940s, there's many options coming from the traditional peasant wearing Baratina, Cagney, which they start to include nuns, devil, Santa Claus, celebrities, athletes, historical figures, politicians, royalty, even Donald Trump. You name it, we have one of a Barca player. It's a child Barca player. We don't have a nativity scene. He just poops on our mantle. So these guys belong Christmas nativity scenes. Fun fact, I love this. I shared this happily yesterday at dinner. In 2005, the Barcelona City Council provoked controversy and public outcry by commissioning a nativity scene in which they did not include a Cagney. The local government was reported to have countered these criticisms by claiming that the Cagney was not included because a civility ordinance had made public defecation and public urination illegal, meaning that the Cagney was now setting a bad example. This is 2005. So that's the first time Barcelona passed a bylaw saying you I can't guess shit so. in public? Yeah, <laughs> 2005. Okay. It was fairly recently. Okay. Yeah. Um, in which they were having troubles with putting a Cagney in the nativity scene. Many saw this as an attack on Catalan tradition. There was literally a public outcry. One writer of a letter to the editor asserted that a nativity scene without a Cagney is not a nativity scene at all. A second writer offered a win-win solution. He suggested including the Cagney, but also placing a figure of a police officer with a pen and clipboard next to him, writing a ticket for the infraction. The writer said that this would achieve three objectives, respect, tradition, comply with the ordinance, and educate the public about how it was being reinforced. And finally, <laughs> demonstrate how important it is to respect the law. From this, I also question how many people were publicly urinating and defecating, in which it was such a big thing. But to even take this away from the Catalonian people was obviously I, a huge... The Catalans are very poop-oriented at this they time. Love, they love it for some reason, especially around the holidays. I mean, they eat a lot of good food, so... I just want to realize how in 2005, that could be when it reaches ahead. Either that, yeah. A, you had to make it illegal at that point, or B, it's just so many people are doing it that you're like, no, we can no longer. I mean, control I that. feel like public urination, I don't even know if we have public defecating. I mean, it probably is a thing that you can't yeah. do, but I feel like we've we had it. We definitely do. We have enough homeless people. It's kind of sad. I feel like it's been longer that we've had it. Yeah. And at know. the same time, really, like, was it the fact that, like, it became such a head at that point or just became culturally inappropriate? That's a good question. Yeah. I know public urination, but I don't know. There has to be a law for public defecation. It's not just something that's, like, acknowledged amongst well, society. Well, in any event, it would be indecent exposure. We know humans. Like, you literally have to have a law for you not to do it, to not do it. 
And then um, just less people will do it. Yeah. Not no people will <laughs> so, do it. So, and then people will get tickets for it. Finally, the head of Parks and Gardens publicly denied prohibiting the Caganet in the first place, saying that it was an artistic decision of the artist commissioned by the city to design and install the scene. Following a campaign against the Caganet's absence called, oh, I can't say it. I'm just going to say it, the translation. I'm very sorry. Everything I've said, I, I feel like Cagatio, I see, okay. They, There's no R's. <laughs> exactly. Well, there is. I'm just not saying it. There's um, no R's in Cagatillo. Cagatillo. No, there's no R's. Okay. That's why you can say that word. Yeah, that's why I can say it. Okay. And even then, I'm not saying it right. I guarantee you I'm not saying it right. I was getting schooled on it earlier. The Cavanaugh's absence was called Save the Cavanaugh. They wrote an article on it. Widespread media criticism, the 2006 Nativity restored the Cavanaugh, who appeared in the northern side of the Nativity near a dry riverbed. I love that this created such an uproar. I'm sure you're asking yourself, like, why? Why is the Cavanaugh in there taking a shit in a Nativity scene? I don't know that anybody knows. So, why? is this dude emptying his bowels in a scene widely considered holy. There's a lot of reasons, apparently. There's much speculation. There's not like one right answer. So for one, the Caganay, by pooping, it's fertilizing the earth. And according to ethnographer Joan Amadeus, not ethnographer. sure. No. Ethnographer. Ethnographer, yeah, that sounds better. I was just sounding it out. <laughs> yeah, that's how we end up with thermometer. Is sounding it out? What should it be? Thermometer. Okay. There you go. <laughs> From Joan, it was a customary figure in nativity scenes in the 19th century because people believed that this deposit, symbolically, fertilized the ground of the nativity scene, which became fertile and ensured the nativity scene for the following year. And with it, the health of body and peace of mind required to make the nativity scene with the joy and happiness brought by Christmas near the hearth. Placing this figurine in the nativity scene brought good luck and joy and not doing so brought adversity. Many modern Caganets represent celebrities and authority figures. By representing them with their pants down, the Caganet serves as a leveling device to bring the mighty down. Another point. As to the charge of blasphemy, the Catalan anthropologist Miguel de Yado has pointed out the grotesque rather than a nation of the divine may actually signify an intensification of the sacred. For what could be more grotesque than the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? A bloody public torture and execution as the defining moment of the story of Christianity. Another point in his essay, The Civic Virtues of the Defecator, that's a translation. <laughs> American anthropologist Brad Erickson argues that Catalans use the Caganet to process and respond to contemporary social issues such as immigration and imposition of public civility regulations. So there's that as well. I don't know that they were thinking of that originally in the, I'm in sure the Caganet. They, they very well could have. Just a few further opinions and then I'm just about done the Caganet. The Caganet was the most mischievous and out of place character of the nativity scene otherwise having an idyllic landscape with baby Jesus being born obviously he was the other with everything that entails as the other was accepted 
in a liberal vein as long as he did not aim to occupy the foreground, so he was always hidden in the background. The Kagane represented the spoil sport that we all have inside of us and that's why it is not surprising that it was the most beloved figure among the children and above all the adolescents who were already beginning to feel rather like outsiders at the family celebration, Auguste Pond says. Finally, the Kagane is a hidden figure and yet is always sought out like the lost lick between transcendence and contingency. Very technical. Without the Kagane, there would be no nativity scene, but rather a liturgy. And there would be no real country, but just the false landscape of a model. So that's the Kagane. Who would have thought that poop could commemorate so much? I know. I was really surprised at all of those explanations. It literally unites these people as an independent country. There are so many things behind it. And I'm interested to see when Gerard listens to this wing, (laughs) what he thinks of all of these explanations of them and if they're even aware of them. Another thing that I was thinking of the Kagane was what does the church think about this? The practice of the Kagane is tolerated by the Catholic Church <laughs> within the areas where the Kagane is popular. So I'm assuming that they would not tolerate this in the Vatican. No, because it's not popular in the Vatican, therefore it's not part of it. So wouldn't be tolerated. It's probably blasphemous in areas <laughs> where it's not a popular thing. And although the tradition generally has popular support, obviously opinion is divided as to whether or not it is wholly appropriate and not all nativity scenes in Catalonia include the figure. I don't know about that. Like to me, it's highly loved in Catalonia. I would say that it's probably not loved so much outside of Catalonia and the places where you can find a million figures like this. Yeah. And that is Catalonia. I know that was a long breath. That's okay. Um, I uh, I do have another one, but if you want to split it up and start one of yours. Yeah, and you know what? You're going to be pretty far away if we're going geographically west to east. So you take a break. Okay. That was a lot of talking. My mouth needs to rest. I don't technically think I'm going to go geographically east to west. Sorry, west to east. But you said you would. I am going to go with what makes the most sense for linking it together. Okay. And I am going to go to something that is geographically linked to Spain and that is the Netherlands Okay. who between 1518 and 1714 was under the rule of the Holy Roman Empire and at that time was ruled by the Habsburg dynasty of Spain therefore oh. uh, a lot of the traditions that come out of religious ceremonies actually come from Spain for as you see in a lot of places actually because yeah. they dominated at one point and, and first and foremost just for those of you watching I want you to take a look at this beautiful representation of what is Netherland Santa. I more so believe I should call him Pope Santa. Okay, that does look like Pope Santa. We're going to talk about everybody around Pope Santa in a few minutes here. First and foremost, I want you to look at Sinterklaas. This is the Netherlands version of Santa. He lives in Madrid with Sinterklaas. He's Pope Santa. Sinterklaas lives in Madrid with what are called Zwarte Pieten, which are called Black Peters. Uh-huh. Do you remember that photo I just showed you and those people around Santa? Yes. Those were Black Peters. Oh, no. 
First and foremost, Sinterklaas doesn't bring presents to kids on Christmas Day. He brings them on December 5th, the day before the Feast of St. Nicholas on December 6th. Santa in the Netherlands wears a red cleric robe and a bishop's mitre. And he arrives each year at a different port into the country on November 11th, where children prepare by leaving carrots for his horse and putting out a shoe for presents to be put in. Okay. A little awkward, but you know, shoes have enough room for a present. I mean, that's coming from Yule, right? Kind yeah, of. Yeah, it has some older roots. Okay. So a the Zwarta Pietin keep lists of the naughty children who receive pieces of coal rather than gifts, and very naughty children are put into sacks and taken to Spain as punishment. And that is why I needed to make this one the next one. And yes. why, of course, I worry about Gerard and him just really being a very naughty Netherlands it's probably child. why he came from Spain in the first yeah. place. But also, there's a lot of things about poop, so they could be sent there just because they focus so much yeah. on poop. This is going to be a very short part, but I just want to finish this up. That's most of it. The Zwarta Pietin, Santa's helpers, have blackface. And that's... They're, <gasps> no. all, they're all presented as having blackface. But it's because they spend all their time going up and down chimneys and giving gifts to okay. children. I get I'm torn on that one. So that is in the modern I guess I get in that. Modern Netherlands, most people are concerned that this is being received as very racist. But what it is is black soot on Santa's I helpers. get it. I do get it. But it's the connotations at that point. Yeah. It's the implications. It is the implications. But I as, get that. That yeah. is innocent in means of which you have blackface the most innocent really not like our prime minister maybe he was a zwarta piet we don't know for sure <laughs> I feel like he wasn't but these people I and also them. technically <laughs> he wasn't blackface he was brown face but that's a that's a different argument for <laughs> i think he was both unfortunately but that's enough about the netherlands for one day and hey, naughty children that is being enough about sent the off netherlands. yeah Enough about the Netherlands. Let's Enough move about on. Them. We're going to move on to Italy. And in Italy, they have a very interesting tradition. Now, do you ever tire from the patriarchy that is Santa Claus and hope that there is another way that you could celebrate festivities around? I really the do. Holiest? Do you have a solution for me right now? I do. And so does Italy, in fact. And it is known as La Bafana. Yeah. And the figure of La Bafana has been an Italian Christmas tradition. Since the 13th century, long before Baba Natale, which is Santa Claus. I'm sorry, and I feel like you might not have prepared for this question, in which I apologize. This is after Saturnalia. Well Saturnalia. after Saturnalia. Okay, yes. okay. And I know this for a fact because it has a lot to do with the nativity story. Okay, that answered my question more than well enough. Yeah. And it's funny because Santa in Italy doesn't go back much further than the 16th century, whereas La Bafana, the Christmas witch, as she's more commonly known, goes back to the 13th century. So she's about 300 years older than Santa. Okay. The term La Bafana derives from the word epiphany. She is actually part of the nativity story. It is part of the religious observation ah. following Christmas, the arrival of the three magi, or the three wise men, to mm. present their precious gifts to the baby Jesus. The legend is that 
that the Magi stop along their journey, knocking on the door of an old woman asked directions to Bethlehem and to rest. She received them and offered them refreshments and, like any good Italian Casalinia housewife, inquired of their journey. They explained that they were following a star because a new king was born, a baby that would be the savior. And so they were making this <laughs> arduous journey to pay homage and offer gifts to the newborn king. They asked her if she would like to accompany them and she refused, saying she had too much housework to do. It's a real struggle. I really feel like that's the I'm washing my hair tonight of excuses. Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> the, the really, yeah. that. I have other stuff to do that's less important. <laughs> Especially if it's an Italian housewife. Like, do you know how far that is for her to travel that night? <laughs> like, Bethlehem is not just like a 20-minute it's a long ways, and that's more than enough excuse to me. The Magi departed, but while she was sweeping her floor, Labafana reconsidered and decided she wanted to go along and see this baby king. She gathered together some sweets as a gift and ran out after them, but by then, the Magi were long gone. She went along the journey following the star they indicated, leaving sweets at every child's door, hoping to find baby Jesus. She continues her search, broom in hand, handkerchiefed on her head, filling socks with sweets and toys. That's nice of her. Is it because she didn't actually make it to the baby Jesus? Yeah, and birth? she still continues his day, hoping yeah, that she, she didn't bad. fuck up too bad. Yeah, she feels really bad. I mean, yeah. that's a free pass to me. And really, in Italy, there is a firm separation between La Bifana and Santa, in that Santa does bring the presents on Christmas, and La Bifana goes on January 5th. Oh, which is, okay. yeah, it's the 12 days after Christmas, which is a lot of the Orthodox traditions dictate that, like, around there is the real Christmas. Okay. She, there's, I just feel like the last couple episodes, I feel like there's different traditions that I want to adopt that just make more sense than what we do now. We just yeah. accepted it without thinking. With Lava Fauna, she does follow the protocol of good kids and bad kids. Good kids good. receive sweets and or presents, and bad kids receive coal. Okay, this is... Why haven't we looked at coal yet? I know, and that's something we can look at at a different date, but not today, because okay. we didn't do No, we're research. not. We didn't... We were not prepared for coal. Although she is called a witch, what is a more common term to call her is a housewife. Witch is more of a common term, but if you go to a market, a Christmas that's... market in Italy, you will find witches everywhere. That's troublesome that witch there. and housewife go hand in hand in Italy. But to be fair, she also flies around on a broom. Yeah. So I kind of get where the confusion comes up and how I also believe that most housewives don't follow that protocol. True. True. Mostly. Yes. I'm sure there's some that do. It's a Venn diagram. There's going to be some leeway mm. on either side of that circle because they do overlap. Right here. Yes. Right there. Yeah. Is love of Fada. <laughs> <laughs> and most importantly, when Santa comes, you leave him milk and cookies. When La Bafana comes, you leave her, of course, red wine. That I love her for. Yes. And of course, the children sing the song for La Bafana. The Bafana comes at night with worn out shoes with a Roman style cap. Long live La Bafana. And of course, they <laughs> sing it in Italian and it rhymes and sounds much better. But I couldn't be bothered to learn the tune. No, probably not for this. And you would think... 
this would be the only Christmas witch, but it is not. There is in <gasps> fact more Christmas witches out of Scandinavia and they come yes. in the form of Norway. On Christmas okay. Eve in Norway, it is a big event for Norwegians and families gathered to have their main Christmas feast and open presents on the evening of Christmas Eve. They sing carols yes. as an important part of the Christmas traditions and for this family members join hands a walk around the Christmas tree. They make two concentric circles and walk around the Christmas tree in opposite directions. For the superstitious, all the brooms in the house must be hidden on Christmas Eve. For yes. Norwegians long ago believed that witches and mischievous spirits come out on Christmas Eve and steal their brooms for riding. I had never considered it before, but now I gotta wonder if that had happened to us because I never really worried about the brooms. We may need out. to worry about it now. We have been pointed out to it. Yes, on the one hand, there is the good witch of Italy around Christmas. On the other end, there are the witches of Norway around Christmas that steal your brooms. Yeah. There are two contrasting witch customs around Christmas, avoiding them and bring them in to get your gifts. That's not the only weird tradition out of Norway or Scandinavia in general, because um, this guy inhabits most of Scandinavia and this is Nisa. Have you ever heard of him? No. Okay, you've never heard of him, but I guarantee you, you would know know him when you see him. Okay. Does he look like Pope Santa? No, oh no, this we're is, gonna try this, this again. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna try this again. This is Nisa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he is a guardian of farms from Nordic tradition. And okay. one thing about Nisa is he was the guardian of the farms. If you didn't please him, he would wreak havoc on everything around. No. Yeah. Nisa. Yeah. He was less than 60 centimeters tall, less than two feet, but he was <gasps> mighty powerful. Okay, and I was just was wondering, like, who would be like, oh, like... So he guards the farm me. animals, and you are required to please the spirit with gifts known as Nisa. A particular gift was a bowl of porridge on Christmas Eve. That's easy enough. Nisa was part of a group of creatures known as the Tomta, and if the Tomta were not given this payment, he would leave the farm or house or engage in mischief, such as tying cows' tails together in the barn, turning objects upside down, and breaking <gasps> things like a troll. He's a poltergeist. Nisa liked his porridge with a pat of butter on top. In an often retold story, a farmer put the butter underneath the porridge to please Nisa. But when Nisa found that the butter was missing, he was filled with rage and killed the cow resting <gasps> in the barn. What a dick! But as he thus became hungry, he went back to his porridge, ate it, and he found the butter at the bottom of the <gasps> bowl. Full of grief, he then hurried to search for the lands to find another farm with an identical cow and replace the former with the latter. In another tale, a Norwegian maid decided to eat the porridge herself and it ended up being severely beaten by the Nisa. <gasps> the being swore, have you eaten the porridge of the Nisa? You have to dance with him. The former found her nearly lifeless in the morning. Oh my God. There's also stories of the Nisa just killing all farm animals should they not receive their porridge the night of Christmas Eve. Anissa's fucked up. Yeah, but you know, you can buy them at Indigo, so. 
Yeah, uh, it might be I've best to avoid him. that one. Generally, they are accepted as guardians of farms unless you fuck up. Like bad. Like if you yeah. don't do the porridge right. Yeah. Like you could give him porridge and you don't do it right. And he's like. No, the butter should be on top. Yeah. I didn't even know butter goes on porridge. So like I would have been killed. Yeah. Okay. That's Nisa and the old Scandinavian ways. And we're going to continue on with the old Scandinavian ways. And that is the story of the Yule goat of Yava. Okay. Yavla, that sounds familiar. Sorry. Yavla, not Yule. Yavla is a small town in Sweden. It's north of Stockholm. Every year in Sweden, this town celebrates the start of Christmas season by putting up a giant straw statue of a goat. And it is known as the Yule Goat of Yavla. Okay. It is meant to just signify the old Yule ways of Sweden, but it has taken on a strangely different connotation. Okay. So it is a 10 meter tall goat made entirely of straw that was meant to be just a signifier of Scandinavian roots in Sweden. Okay. It will sit there from mid-November until the new year. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, sorry, it should. That's all it's supposed to do. It's just be a statue that's there for this Christmas season and signify this. But people have taken to burning this as an effigy. Hmm. And it has been going since 1966. The statue has only survived the Christmas season 12 times in that period. It is illegal to burn it down. It is considered arson. There is both fines and prison time associated with it. But people still burn it down? It is burnt down pretty much every year. I would feel compelled to burn him down too. He's made of hay. He's screaming to be burned down. In 2001, an American burned it down and was arrested for it. He told authorities that friends had told him it was tradition, but he ended up spending two weeks in prison and did not get his letter back upon being released. Although he had a fairly significant fine levied against him, he ran away before he could let it. Okay, okay, but what, like, um, what are their jails there that he just ran away? Yeah, no, he didn't, he, he got released and then it was, he's supposed to pay a fine and he left. Okay. In 2005, a brigade of Santas and gingerbread men burned it down by firing flaming (laughs) arrows from afar. They've taken steps in recent years to try to stop it. In 2006, it was fireproofed and burned to the ground. (laughs) In 2009, they installed a webcam to make sure they could catch vandals. It was hacked and burned to the ground. Well, nobody could see it. In 2011, they sprayed it with water to form some sort of ice shield so that it couldn't be burnt down. It was burnt to the ground. Nice. In the 80s, they started taking bets <laughs> on whether or not it would be burned to the ground before New Year's. And you can still bet on it to this day, whether or not it will survive the Christmas. So the Christmas tradition that you're talking about is burning down the Yule Goat. <laughs> Illegally burning down the Yule Goat. And the hilarious thing is, is the fire department is only two minutes away. Yeah, so, so I feel it, like that's a bucket list item to go and burn yeah. down that Yule Goat. Yeah, the last time it survived was 2014 when there were three arson attempts on the goat's life. It did survive, though, thanks to the quick-handedness of the fire brigade. Nice. Not nice, because I feel but, like now I want to see it burnt yeah. to the ground every but year. sometimes it's not even the fact that it is people trying to burn it to the ground. In 1976, someone drove a car into the back leg and the statue collapsed. And then in 2010, a security guard stated that he'd been offered a bribe by two men who were going to use a helicopter to fly away with the goat. The guard turned down the bribe, so we'll never know if the goat napping plan would have worked. Why do they keep doing it if they want the statue to survive? 
The town of Yavla is stubborn. Over the years, they've been urged to stop building the goat, or at least stop using the traditional straw, but they're proud of their Yule goat. It's been in the Guinness Book of World Records for its size, not the fires. And every year in December, lots of people visit to see the goat and take part in Yule time celebrations. Part of the reasons people come may be to see how long the goat will last, and some suspect that the town secretly likes the attention. Still, well, every it. year, they promise that this goat will go the distance. 2016 was supposed to be the extra big occasion, the 50th anniversary for the Yule Goat statue. But on the day of November 27th, the day the statue was unveiled, that night it was put up in flames. <laughs> okay, I j literally just made a note because there's been speculation of our New Year's episode. We're gonna have an update whether or not this Yule Goat go is still there. Is yes. still there. 2021 that's the year we're in right now right yes i keep forgetting we're gonna have an update and i really hope it's burned down 2014 i mean that's a long time maybe i should hope that it's not burned down for this year i'm hoping it's burned down sorry it's tradition and we need to see the youtube video of this thing going down yeah so tune in to the new year's episode and to be fair we... if you build a statue out of straw it's going to get burnt down. I saw we it all, and we I all just heard the story feel like I want to burn it down. Yeah. So it's just begging for it, to yeah. be honest with you. To keep with the Yule idea, we're going to yeah. now go to Iceland, where they have a great tradition of the Yule cat. Do you burn it down? No, you don't burn the Yule cat down. Okay. And in fact, the Yule cat is a huge, vicious cat who is described as lurking about the snowy countryside during the Christmas times. Doing what? Eating people, of course. The Yule cat eats people who have not received new clothes to wear before Christmas Eve. <gasps> what? So obviously I've received enough new clothes to wear before Christmas time. Thankfully, apparently. Because I'm to make still it to here. This point in life. Yes. Shit. I didn't even yeah. know this was something I need to be terrified of. Basically, the Yule Cat's gonna go out, and if you had not received Christmas clothes, going to eat. Simple as that. Now, it is related to many different Christmas traditions of Iceland, but I think we're gonna touch on all the other Christmas traditions of Iceland at a different date, because I have to yeah. save them. Yeah. Now, it appears the Yule Cat was created by a big wool industry in Iceland. Oh. Which is hilarious. Though referred to as an ancient tradition, written accounts of the Yule Cat only go back to the 19th century. The threat of being eaten by the Yule cat was used by farmers as an incentive for their workers to finish processing the autumn wool before Christmas. The ones who took part in the work would be rewarded with new clothes, but those who did not would get nothing and thus would be preyed upon by the monstrous cat. The cat has alternatively been described as merely eating away the foods of ones without new clothes during Christmas. Because you know, that's one thing people without new clothes could afford is not eating their food. Exactly. After going over those very different European traditions, we are going to move over to Asia, where there are just as many strange and varying Christmas traditions. I am going to start with the nation that many people may not know about, known as China. Who? It is kind of, if you look off the east coast of Asia, it's basically you found China because it's right yes. okay I generally know what you're speaking of known for its general Tsao's chicken but Delicious. there's other things in there yes that's the chicken although it's not a big part of China uh, there is still a small sect of the population that would consider themselves Christian and mm -hmm. 
because of also the Western influences on this great nation, there are people who consider themselves at least culturally Christmas users. I think <laughs> is the proper way to say it. And in mainland China, Christmas is not a public holiday and it's not related to religion mm -hmm. at all. It's more of a novelty day like Valentine's Day rather than a religious celebration. But you'll still see the malls and streets of the big cities filled with Christmas decorations, fir trees, Santa Claus and Carol's. A shopping mall in Xi'an once built a huge 65-meter gingerbread house while a 9-meter Christmas tree, Asia's tallest, was made of Legos. <laughs> Despite the incredible decorations, Christmas is more of a lighthearted day for going out with friends rather than gathering with family. Young couples can also see it as a romantic day for giving gifts and expressing their love for each other. The department stores take advantage of this and put on annual events and big sales, and the locals like to get out into the festive atmosphere and snakes and bargain. Also, in China, it is tradition to eat an apple on Christmas Eve called a peace apple. It's one of the most <laughs> common Chinese Christmas traditions among young people, as it is to send cellophane-wrapped apples as a gift to their friends. The apples are also often sold with printed messages like love, peace, and merry Christmas. The tradition Weird. evolved because Christmas Eve translates into Mandarin as Ping An Ye, which also means peaceful night. Oh. The okay. Mandarin Chinese word for apples pronounces Pingguo, which I can attest is correct, which sounds similar to peace. Mm. The Chinese love for their homophones, and therefore the locals say that eating an apple will bless you with a safe and peaceful year ahead. Now, they do have Christmas in China and Santa in China, but Santa's slightly different, and Santa has sisters, not elves. While we typically <laughs> hear stories of Santa with his helper elves, in China it's a bit different. When you see people dressed as Santa in malls, you'll see him accompanied by costumed women who are known as Santa's sisters. Not Santa, like Mrs. Claus or anything? Not Mrs. Claus, Santa's sister. Okay, weird. Santa is known as Shangdan Lauren, which means Christmas old man. <laughs> literally does he is seen as a non-religious figure who lives in the fairy tale arctic christmas village in china's north pole which hilariously is in china china's north pole okay yeah and they have a christmas theme park which is set in the beautiful countryside <laughs> of moha the northernmost city in china it's even modeled after santa's official home village in rovaniemi in finland complete with santa claus's house and post office it's a stunning place to visit with magical snowy scenery and the chance to see the Northern Lights definitely one for Christmas fans. Hmm. Just so you know, everything I'm reading comes from a Chinese travel site. So they are trying to sell it. Oh, yeah. Most importantly, I think, at least, when you're talking about Santa, of course, you picture him with Santa's traditional saxophone, which he plays in China. Of course you do. He is no ordinary jolly man. <laughs> he plays a saxophone as you wander around the stores and streets you'll often see the big red suited father christmas jamming out on a saxophone or even trumpet or french horn <laughs> the chinese christmas tradition is totally unique to the country and no one really knows why <laughs> one theory is that the chinese santa is seen as a romantic figure and his sax is quite a charming instrument <laughs> it's also common to see all kinds of depictions of santa claus such as santa wearing traditional chinese clothes so why not make saint nick a musician too <laughs> I found China interestingly involved in Christmas in that they have their own little takes on everything. And also they do, they do make everything for Christmas. So they, they can fully claim being the Christmas capital. And plus there's saxophone Santa. Yeah. 
for some reason. <laughs> Which I appreciate more for some reason. There's no real story behind it. There's just saxophone Santa. And I find that charming. It's just so like that, really jamming out on the yeah. sets. We need to find a video of this. That is Chinese Christmas. And I think we're going to move a little bit east from here. A little bit east. Is that my cue? Yes. Okay, next on decks, Japan. 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 And what is Christmas in Japan without KFC? And the answer is nothing. There's no Christmas in Japan without KFC. Because there is no Christmas in Japan. There is there is no Christmas in Japan. It's just literally KFC. Japan doesn't, it's not a national holiday or anything, Christmas in Japan. This all started in 1974 with a clever marketing campaign just four years after KFC arrived in Japan. Essentially, it was all in the marketing. As we see with everything in even North America, diamonds, other stuff plastic as we've covered in other episodes there's your other episode plug for the recycling episode we did essentially it was all in the marketing with commercials playing my old kentucky home song drawing the ties of kfc being a part of an authentic western christmas この豊かなる大地ケンタッキー。リンカーンの生に追う海、ポスターの市場を育む。そしてカーネルサンダースの誰にも真似のできない美味しさを生んだ。手作りの心を込めてケンタッキーフライドチキン。I have no idea what they just said just there. Love this about East Asian culture is anything that uh, was imported from English. They just said, fuck it, it's easier to say the same words. Just kind of add some Asian accents to the end. Yeah. At the very end of the commercial, they say, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah. I find it the same with any language where somebody's trying to translate something they don't know how to translate into something. They just put a little, like, accent on it. They're trying to put, like, this is a Western kind of tradition on it, um, which made it more appealing in Japan because it's not technically, like, anything that is, it's not a holiday there. No, they straight up lied. They said, oh, yeah, all white people go and get Kentucky Fried Chicken on Christmas. Yeah. Because that's what we do. So it majorly lies on this one guy who is Takeshi Okawara, um, which I probably totally said wrong, just like I said, probably yeah. said all the Catalan wrong. You weren't that far wrong. off. Yeah. You just, you just said the R wrong. In both Japanese and Korean, there's no R per se. It's right between R and L. How do you say it? Like Okawara. Okiyabra. Oh, okay. It's like, um, because like in Japanese, they're not called Japanese. They're called Iobun. Okay. But um, um, that's, that's uh, confusing for me at this point yeah. in life um, <laughs> and this point in the yeah. podcast. And it's why um, people always make fun of Japanese for not being able to say L's and R's. Oh. Yeah, because they don't have, they don't separate L's and R's. It's kind of one it. sound in both Japanese and Korean. Okay. Basically, it all stems around this guy like he somehow is like this thing of legend so there's a few stories of how this like came to be that kfc is almighty for christmas number one what is the first kfc manager in japan named takashi okawara which i'm gonna say it my way because yes. that's how i'm 
doing it now, told a little white fib and said that this was a traditional American meal to encourage sales. Number two, official KFC Japan story says Takashi went to an Christmas party dressed as a Santa Claus and since kids loved it being him as a Santa Claus he was inspired to create Christmas meals at the KFC 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 I don't know why I can't say KFC now three to the Asian pronunciations now Chelsea. I guess so I don't even know how to do it in Asian <laughs> pronunciations but I got it um number three there's more legend all relating back to the legend himself when he heard foreigners looking for a traditional holiday meal in japan to which he offered a holiday meal substitution which is a bucket of chicken offered at a low all-inclusive price to substitute traditional turkey meals this is just an instagram post of one of the christmas meal options that they have at kfc as you can see it's completely dressed up to be for Christmas. So also to make mention, traditional turkey in North America is pretty much impossible to find in Japan. The Christian so population... chicken is basically the same thing. Basically, which it does come up. The Christian population went for the next best thing, fried chicken, I guess, which you literally just mentioned. Like, that's basically the next best thing that you're going to get is KFC. Yeah, and, um, and rather than fried turkey. chicken is very traditional Japanese. Well, it is similar to what they already have, which I can't even remember the word for it, but basically they do Chicken karage. Yeah, that. Um, but it's not just chicken. They also do beef. Yeah, uh, but it's squid, karage. Everything. Karage. It's is very it. similar to what they already have. Yeah, which is deep fried protein, I guess. Obviously, this is a thing of legend. However, this does not make it any less of a national tradition and love pastime of the holidays. Um, KFC is a national phenomenon and one of the most popular Japanese Christmas food traditions. Today, it's known by its catchy slogan entitled Kentucky for Christmas. I did not put the Japanese translation of that in there um, where it usually would because I'm going to fuck that up so royally even more than I've done anything in here. So yeah, yeah, we could both fuck it up. Right? Yeah, I'm not gonna even try. Um, that's the translation, and that's it. The man, the myth, the legend, Takashi Oga Okawara, wrong because there's an R, went on to become the president as CEO of KFC Japan between 1984 and 2002. Rightfully so. There is obviously a lot of legend around how he made this come about, there is nobody refuting that it was him that made KFC this national treasure of Christmas. The sales account for nearly one-third of the yearly revenue, and people will pre-order their Christmas buckets a couple of months in advance, with 40% of people making their orders in advance, and you would not risk standing in line for a long time on Christmas waiting for this without placing your order. So not only is there a KFC tradition, but there's also the coincidence that Colonel looks like Santa, and he's evolved into Colonel Santa in Japan. And to uh, be fair, mm -hmm. if you're pronouncing Colonel Sanders in like traditional Asia like any Asian language from China, Japan, Korea, it'd be somewhere around either Colonel Sanders or Can Colonel Sanders, which is Santa. <laughs> so it's not that far off from Santa. 
That's pretty crazy, um, which I guess does make the difference. Yeah. In all of these, like, Colonel Sanders is dressed up like Santa when you go in to get your Christmas bucket and everything. Obviously, he has the white facial hair and a jolly round belly. The Colonel can be found dressed up as Santa out in Santa outfits all over the country come December. KFC also promotes likeness by dressing up their Colonel Sanders statues with red and white Santa outfits every Christmas season. And like I said, Christmas in Japan is not even a traditional holiday. So this is just something that this lucky CEO lucked out on and he happened. He kind of lied himself into just he to be did. perfectly he, blunt. To me, like he just kind of happily lucked into it and found the right marketing movement to make to Kashi. And that was it. Like the rest is a legend. And now it's just a Christmas tradition in Japan. And that was a quick little segment of Japan. And that might be all we have for this weird Christmas tradition episode. I got one episode. more thing. <gasps> one more. Where are we going? Are we going east more? No, we're going south from here. Okay. And that south is actually Antarctica. And although oh, right. it is not a fully inhabited country per se... It still has people living on it, and with people living on a continent or a piece of land, it comes with it tradition. Of course. And one of there are two, in fact, traditions from Antarctica that can be fully said to happen at Christmas. Okay. First and foremost is, of course, the traditional Christmas polar dip, which is running into the water. And it being in Antarctica, the I can only imagine how cold that water would be. But that's actually the warmest that water will ever get in here because, of course, it's on the southern side of the equator, so that it's getting warm at that point. The next one, which I find fully hilarious, is, of course, the race around the world. <laughs> All research stations take part in this, and it is a two kilometer long race that is a circular race around the southern pole. That literally encompasses every time zone in the world. Oh my God. That's intense. It is literally just a circle. All manner of transport is used to travel along the geographic South Pole. So that meaning in passing through all time zones and lines of longitude, the participants have race around the world. And in fact, to finish the race, you have to go around the world three times and cover two miles. Three times in two miles. Yeah. Okay. And with that, we have run out of fun tidbits around the Christmas festivities for you. There will be many more going forward for I do not foresee this being our only Christmas with you. However, that requires you to stick around until at least the next time so that we can give you some more tidbits. An update coming on the Yule Goat. We will tell you more about the Yule Goat for this year. In the meantime, I have been Taylor here with I have my been festive Chelsea. Chelsea, yes. Festive. And we will see you next time. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow, depending on what 
venue you are listening to us through. Also, please, if possible, leave a five-star review as that really helps us in the algorithms. Should you wish to interact with us, please check us out on your social media of choice. I bet you we are there. And if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes or tell us that we're wrong and terrible, either way, please send us an email at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. For now, I'll see you in the next episode.